thanks for listening to the Radiant Church Podcast. This is David Perkins, and we're so glad that you're listening. Hey, if you're a part of our family meeting online or in person, we want to encourage you to get connected at Radiant Church KC across all social media platforms. God is doing something incredible in Kansas City, and we love connecting with you, whether it's through our app or even through all the content available on our YouTube page. Hey, our prayer is that God uses this message to change your life and that you could become a dynamic disciple of Jesus. Thanks for listening. Enjoy this message. Oh, good morning, Radiant. It is so, so good to be here. A uh, big, huge, warm welcome from, or hello from uh, Fort Collins, Colorado, and uh, from my wife, Jossie, and I. I have my youngest son, Smith, here uh, with us today. So, so grateful. It's fun to travel with him. And I consider it a huge honor to be an overseer for Radiant Church. And, um, and so it's a joy to be with you. And uh, having been here now on and off over the years to be able to have see faces that I recognize and all of that is such a gift. And, uh, and then to be able to uh, uh, talk with David Perkins on a regular basis. We probably talk every week or two uh, and have for years and years. And um, a joy to know what's going on, not only in, in this church, but also within his heart and, uh, and all the things as we move through life uh, together. I love coming to Kansas City uh, because I love Kansas City barbecue. Uh, I just can't get enough of it. Went to Slaps yesterday, and uh, that was the first time. And, and so I, I'm pretty much, a, I, you know, like a, a Kansas City native is kind of how I think about it. Um, but more than coming to Kansas City for Kansas City barbecue, um, I love your pastors. I love David and Renata. Uh, they are a gift. They are wonderful. They're doing an amazing job. Can, can we together just give them a big, huge thank you? Um, so grateful what you're doing. You have, an, you have amazing pastors. And, um, and I'm so excited also about your future. Uh, I got the chance to walk through your building recently. And uh, wow, wow. <laughs> it's, a, it is, it's awesome. I know that you're not in it yet. And there's, you know, it's going to take some time and all that kind of thing. We, uh, Mill City Church in Fort Collins, we uh, are 11 and a half years old and we are 11 and a half years portable. Yeah, so, so now you have an amazing building. I mean, you're on the road to non-portability and uh, so excited for you, but more than a building itself or even not setting up and tearing down. You know what I'm most excited about? I am so excited about the people. As I was walking through the building, the people that are going to find hope and healing because of that building. I'm so excited about the marriages that will be restored because of that building. So excited about the people who will find hope in when they're finding them placed in a place, themselves in a place of despair because of that building. So excited about the next generation that will be raised up and, and set on fire for Jesus because of that building. The goal is not the building. The goal is kingdom activity through a building. And so excited for what God is doing and will do through Radiant Church here in Kansas City. Uh, well, I want to just... Uh, jump in here to the message. I ha I'm landing your series that you've been in here for a little while now called Becoming Radiant. And, and so I um, want to land with, with an idea that I think is important for who we are as the church global and who you are as this particular church in Kansas City. When we look to decades past or generations past, we find that credibility 
was an influence was given to those who had character. If you look at the lives of the leaders or the lives of people that were listened to, oh, while they have character, I'm, I should listen to them. That has shifted over the years and over the generations. At one point, it's shifted towards if they are leading something big or they have a big title, then, then they must be important. They must be worth listening to. Had less to do with the character of somebody's life. We live in a generation now where that has shifted again. And we give credibility and influence to people who are popular. If somebody is famous or has a, a load of Instagram followers, then, then they must be important and I should listen to them. Because of that, we live in a world where we spend, can, can spend a lot of time managing our image, curating an image, maybe that's even different than what's reality, and and painting a picture via social media, Instagram, Facebook, whatever, of how we want to be perceived or how maybe if I can be popular in some way, then people will listen to me. But that is not the invitation of God. The invitation is to interior examination over image curation. The early church father Irenaeus said the glory of God is man fully alive. And fully alive looks like building a strong spirituality without denying our humanity. See, it's easy, it, actually it's easy in the name of Jesus, to deny what it means to be human. Meaning to ignore what's going on on the inside. The, the, the emotions that are swirling, the difficulties that are emerging. But I believe that it is not possible to be spiritually mature while remaining emotionally immature, which means then that our emotional health and our spiritual maturity are inseparable. Jesus expresses this in Romans, excuse me, Mark chapter 12, verse 30, when he says, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength and love your neighbor as yourself. It's easy for us to get around the idea of loving God with our whole heart, with our whole strength. Let's, let's, let's lift our hands in worship. Let's give our bodies to him. But sometimes we actually like, eh, but you know, my soul, I'll just kind of leave that over here. Loving God with our soul requires examining the interior of our lives. It means naming what's going on beneath the surface so that we can offer it to God for healing and transformation. See, God doesn't want us just to believe a list of doctrines in our head. He actually wants to transform us from the inside out. Theologians throughout history have acknowledged this reality and the need for us to grow in self-examination. Teresa of Avila said in The Way of Perfection, almost all problems in the spiritual life stem from a lack of self-knowledge. Augustine said in Confessions, how can you draw close to God when you are far from your own self? Grant, Lord, that I may know myself, that I may know thee. Or the modern theologian Ice Cube, you better check yourself before you wreck yourself. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Scripture highlights this need for self-examination as well. The Psalms are full of... David and the writers expressing what's going on on the inside. He says in Psalm 139, you have searched me, Lord, and you know me. 
You know when I sit and when I rise. You perceive my thoughts from afar. You discern my going out and my lying down. You are familiar with all my ways. Before a word is on my tongue, you, Lord, know it completely. It continues on at the end of that chapter. Search me, God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. Now, what is he saying? You just know it, but I don't need to know it. No, he's actually saying, God, show me me. And we continue on in Lamentations chapter three, verse 40. Let us examine our ways and retest them and let us return to the Lord. First Corinthians eleven twenty eight. Everyone ought to examine themselves before they eat of the bread and drink from the cup. Second Corinthians chapter 13, verse five. Examine yourselves to see whether you are in the faith. Test yourselves. So what is, what, what kind of, picture is, is scripture painting. It's painting a picture of God inviting us to self-examination for the purpose of staying close to God. Examine yourself to see whether you're in the faith, to see whether you're close to him and going in his direction and leaning into his ways. The problem is that we live in a world oriented against interior examination. Moving so quickly, skimming along the surface, avoiding the uncomfortable, the difficult, or the painful parts of our lives. Speed is the enemy of depth. And in church, we often ignore our feelings as well, just in the name of Jesus. Right? How are you? I'm blessed and highly favored. It's like the movie, uh, the Lego movie. Everything is awesome. Jazz hands. When everything is not awesome. But we can't live a fully human life while cutting parts of yourself off. When you cut off part of your life, you compromise the rest of it. Pete Scazzaro in his book, Emotionally Healthy Spirituality, says when we deny our pain, losses, and feelings year after year, we become less and less human. Anybody seen the movie Inside Out? Great animated movie. Uh, you think it's a kid's movie because it's animated, but it's actually such a brilliant movie for all ages. And uh, the, if, you've, if you're not familiar with it or, or haven't seen it, the, it's basically the story of this girl and her family that moves from Minnesota to San Francisco. And, and, and because of the dad gets a new job. And so so what you get a picture into is the like emotional headquarters of this little girl. And so in the emotional headquarters, there's joy and sadness and uh, disgust and rage. Did I miss anything? Fear. And, and so, so what you get an idea of is what's happening on the inside as she's, she's in this new environment. And there's like joy for something new, but there's sadness because... Because she's left her friends and she's left with familiar and she's missing people. Well, as a result of that, uh, they want to try and push sadness out. So, so joy is like, get out of here. But what you find by the end of the movie, spoiler alert, but you've had years to watch it. So if you miss, <laughs> miss this. But the reality is, is that they find that actually joy and sadness can go together. Joy and sadness can live in the same 
place together. They can run on parallel tracks. You can have both grief and gratitude. You can have joy and sadness both in the same moments. And really what happens is not only that when they they kick sadness out, it actually impacts the rest of the little girl. But I would say that the depths that we're willing to go to will determine the heights of life that we'll experience. In other words, if you will go to greater depths in your sadness, you will experience higher joys. So to deaden one is to stunt the other. And God is asking us and inviting us to the fullness of life. So I wonder if we would all be willing to ask, answer the question because so often what we're willing to engage or not is determined by our family of origin. So ask the question, what emotions weren't acceptable in the home that you grew up in? Meaning you could kind of answer the question or the statement, we don't do sadness. We don't do disappointment. We don't do frustration. We don't do fear. We don't do anger. In my home growing up, uh, we did not do many emotions. And, and as a result, though, what happened was any ter- types of feelings and certainly any sort of interactions and difficulty with one another, it just, just brushed that under the rug. We just won't deal with that because everything is awesome because we love Jesus. And so we're just going to put it under the rug. And you know what happened after a while, though, is that it exploded. And we'd have a, a really nasty fight and or whatever and it explode but then you know the next day we'd wake up everything is awesome it exploded but we didn't deal with it so then Josie and I started dating that's my wife and and she was much more adept thank I thank God for Josie she is a gift to me because she would say how are you doing and I'd say good okay and and I'd be like and what can you tell me more really good? (laughs) Fine. That was the extent of my emotional vocabulary. Thankfully, she was patient with me. I read recently that the sign of emotional health is the ability to give, to describe your emotions with eight words when asked. How are you? Not just good, (laughs) but seven more. Some of you are like, Seven more? <laughs> See, there's so many different reasons. Some of it's training, but sometimes we avoid self-examination because we're afraid of what we'll find. I had a friend one time, I, I got into his car and we were driving and I looked over at the, the dashboard behind the steering wheel and there's a piece of duct tape on, on, the, on there and I said, what's that for? He said, Oh, the check engine light is on. And I got tired of seeing it. (laughs) I thought, you know, that doesn't make it go away and get any better. See, just because we avoid it doesn't mean that it goes away. It actually makes it worse. And the same thing is is true regarding our feelings and our emotions. If we ignore them, they don't get, go away. Oftentimes, they will come out sideways and they will get redirected. They will get redirected maybe towards numbing to go after and, 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 and 
develop an unhealthy relationship with alcohol or to run towards porn or some sort of way that we act out sexually. Or maybe we escape through scrolling or Netflix. All to avoid. So for some of you, you might be saying, so, so what do I do? How do I, how do I, how do I get, do better self-examination? Number one, pay attention to your feelings. Now, for some of you, you might be like, ah, oh, no, I, I am not going to be led by my feelings. I was taught that in Jeremiah, it says, the heart is deceitful. But what does Jesus say? Love the Lord, with God, love the Lord your God with all your heart. So what do you do with that? Now, we don't want to be led by our feelings. I remember watching, I, I, think a, I, think, I think it was Britney Spears, but I remember there's this picture that some paparazzi person had taken a photo of her with her toddler on her lap while she was driving. And of course, people are freaking out. And, 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 and to, some, to some degree of, like, that's not safe. It's dangerous. Toddlers shouldn't be in the front seat. Neither should your feelings. But it's not like, well, we're going to take that toddler and shouldn't be in the front seat, so let's, let's put it in the trunk. Let's put that little toddler in the trunk. Of course not. The same thing is true of our feelings. Just because it's not supposed to, they're not supposed to be driving our lives doesn't mean we go lock them in the trunk either. Just like there's a place for a, an appropriate place for a toddler in a car, there's an appropriate place for feelings in our lives. And I would like to suggest that the place is on the dashboard. Not hands on the wheel, but it's an indicator. An indicator of what's going on inside of our lives. So that we can not only identify, ah, I'm mad, I'm sad, I'm angry, but why? Ask why. Why is that light going off? Why did that happen? What's going on here? I remember... Several years ago, this was in 2020, and people were getting mad and angry, and they were leaving uh, our church. And I was, I, as as I, as happened in every church, and so so I remember being so mad. But anger is really a secondary emotion, meaning it's a covering emotion, and oftentimes it covers sadness. And I, as I sat with that anger, I realized that I was actually feeling really hurt. And see, the, the, the thing is, is once I was able to say, oh, I've got the anger light going off on my dashboard. Why? I'm able to address the issue that's going on underneath the hood. Now, our American culture doesn't really encourage this much either. And especially in regards to grieving. Grieving is seen oftentimes as a sign of weakness. You ever heard the phrase, big boys don't cry? Or, or maybe somebody starts crying and you ever heard somebody say, they apologize for the tears. I'm so sorry for crying. I'm like, oh, why? Or somebody gets up in a present, to give a presentation or maybe they want to share something in a small group and they say, I told myself I wouldn't cry. What do you, those phrases and ideas come from? Now, I understand maybe we, we, we're afraid of being vulnerable, but the problem with those statements, the problem with that idea and being pushed forward is that it's not biblical. It's very American, but it's not very biblical. 
because we are given permission and encouragement throughout scripture, especially the Psalms, to be angry, to grieve. And not only is it found throughout scripture and the Psalms, it's actually then also modeled by Jesus. We are supposed to become more like Jesus. And so was Jesus angry? Yes. Some, now, does the scripture say don't sin in your anger? Yes. Was he full of joy? Yes. Did he grieve? Yes. And Isaiah chapter 53 prophesied about Jesus. He says, he was a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. Jesus wept over Lazarus. He wept over Jerusalem, which means real men cry. And Jesus actually encourages it to his kingdom followers. Blessed are those who mourn. Because why? Because you will receive comfort. Where are we going to receive comfort from? The Holy Spirit. Paul, what does Paul say in Corinthians? And those who have received comfort, then you will be able to give of the comfort that you have received. But we love to just focus on the divinity of Jesus and ignore his humanity. But Jesus didn't come just to save our souls. He also came to show us what it looks like to be fully human fully human, which means that we need to pay attention to our feelings. What's going on? And we need to pay special attention to our reactions because there is revelation in our reactions. Several years ago, I grew up in a home where my dad, he, he's a general contractor. So, so I would work for him in the summer times and and I would, uh, you know, do things around job sites. So I got comfortable enough to be able to do things around my own house and kind of enjoy the DIY type things. And we lived in a really old house. And, and so I had taken time to rip off the aluminum siding that was on the house and, and prepare it and scrape it and all that kind of thing for paint. So this was a particular summer I was going to paint the house. So I, I had, you know, bought, we picked the colors and bought the paint. And I had on this beautiful summer, sunny Colorado day, I climbed up onto the, I had this big five gallon bucket of paint and and put it in the driveway. And, and, uh, this particular, uh, driveway, it was gravel. And, and so I put it there and then I, I, I put it into a, like a smaller bucket so I could climb up on the roof. So I was on the second, on this roof that was, uh, oh, like, a, like, like, uh, over our, our front door. And, and I stood there and I was painting the, the second story basically right above that. And, and, uh, at one point I heard a noise around the, uh, from the, from by the driveway in the garage, I look around the corner and my wife and a couple of our boys had come out and she got into the car and she was backing out of the garage and she didn't see the five gallon bucket of paint. And I saw it and I'm like, no, and full, totally full had, I just poured out just a little bit and here's hundreds of dollars just, just washing out into this gravel and I actually don't remember going down the ladder, <laughs> just being on the ground. And I'm, I'm, I'm on the driveway and, and I'm like, stop. And I start yelling and screaming and saying a bunch of things that I cannot repeat to you right now. And Jossie and the boys get out of the car. And she's like, I'm so sorry. And I'm like, she's like, boys, let's go inside. <laughs> and I, I just walked around the driveway and looked at the paint and yelled and screamed and went bananas. And I go back inside, I go inside and Jossie's like, 
are you okay? I'm fine. <laughs> Obviously. <laughs> and I went inside and later sat down and asked why. Because that was a disproportionate response. Now, is it disappointing to spill paint? 100%. Is it disappointing to, to lose money like that and have to rebuy the paint? 100%. Frustrating, disappointing, no doubt. But that was not my reaction. My reaction was way bigger than that. And as I sat in that and asked why, why did I re react like that? I'd just gone through several experiences of betrayal and fractured relationships and difficulty and pain and realized that in this moment, I was one of the things I was yelling and screaming is, why can't everything go okay? Why is everything going wrong? See, this was just one more thing in a string of things. And I was angry at God for things not happening and working and things breaking apart and so can I just get over it? Can I buy some new paint? Absolutely. But what's the opportunity is that a reaction can become a revelation which can lead to, for me in that moment, to know that I was really hurt. I needed healing. I needed comfort. And I would need to forgive. It was a reaction that led to a revelation that led to transformation. So I wonder if you want to pay attention to your reactions. There's always a story beneath a disproportionate response. So why did you react to your kids that way? Why did you just flip out on your spouse when they moved something from your desk? Why did you just react to your employer when they just shifted something in your job description? Why did you react that way to your mom or your dad? Why did you react that way to your classmate or to your teacher? Why? Why was that reaction disproportionate? Maybe it's because you're feeling out of control. Maybe it's because there's too much going on. I mean, there are so many reasons why, but if we can just pay attention to the reactions and sit with and ask why? What's the story going on? What got touched that somehow isn't healed? And so as a reaction to this moment, so all these other stories are reacting to that moment too. I am so glad that we are no longer in COVID. Can I get an amen? amen. It was a tough season. It was a tough season in church leadership. It was a tough, tough season for us as humans. But you know, one of the things that I would describe COVID that season as was a season of disproportionate reactions. Amen. Somebody says one particular thing and I can't believe you. Somebody says something and they get canceled. So, uh, uh, we make a particular decision about uh, how to navigate COVID as a church and, and, oh, you're this and you're that. And, you know, oh, you made that statement in your sermon. We're out of here. Disproportionate reactions. And, and as I was thinking about people's reactions and disproportionate reactions, I was able to identify what was going on in their lives. But, you know, we're not called to be other, others examiners. It's supposed to be self-examiners. Psalm 139, it doesn't say, show me their anxious ways. 
But you know what? I'm really good at examining and pointing out other people's anxious and offensive ways. But the psalmist says, examine me, show me my anxious and offensive ways. And so as I was pointing out everybody else's issues, I realized, and I asked God, God, what are my reactions about in this moment? Because I'm hurt by that person who left. I'm hurt by this person who sent an email and said this and misunderstood that and, and took these people and gossiped about that. And, and I realized as I allowed the Holy Spirit to examine me that I was overly attached and my state of being was determined by other people's affirmations of my leadership. In other words, when things were good and they're like, oh, that's a great decision. You're such a good leader, Aaron. Great, great, great decision. Love all of that. I'm like flying high, feeling good. 2020, I got very little of that. And we got loads of that. I can't believe you said that. And I don't know that you did that and everything. And what does that mean then? That lack of affirmation of my leadership, I'm totally a disaster. And so as I understood that, I started to realize that I'm, 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 I'm tied to something I'm not supposed to be tied to. So I started offering that to the Lord, went to a therapist to help unpack some of those things. And as a result, started to realize that I was leading for the wrong reasons or maybe attached to the wrong things to determine if I was doing a good job or not. And as I was able to let those things go, offer them to the Lord, differentiate in a healthy way from my church, I have been able to experience the freedom from the tyranny of other people's opinions. That came because I was able to examine, examine a reaction, ask why, why am I feeling this way? Why am I reacting to people like this? Not why are they, but why am I? So we need to pay attention to our feelings and pay special attention to our reactions. But we also need to process our feelings, not just by ourselves, yes, with God, but with others. Basically, do you have someone who can sit with you, who can listen to you, give space to you and what is happening inside of you? Sometimes that means we sit with other people so they can help us articulate and pay attention to our feelings. Hey, this is what I'm thinking. What am I feeling? Hey, this is what's going on. Can you help me articulate? Or this is how I feel. I'm so angry. I'm so mad. And what does the Bible say? It says, mourn with those who mourn. It doesn't say fix those who mourn. Give them the Bible answer to those who mourn. Just mourn with them. We'll get there. But like, let it out. Why? It's important. Move through it with them. Mark Epstein, a psychiatrist, says developmental trauma happens when emotional pain cannot find a relational home. This is why small groups are so important. So that we can bring the reality of our hearts and our lives into a relational space. And people can say, I'm with you. I'm praying for you. 
Hey, you need somebody shoulder to cry on? You can cry on mine. Hey, it's okay. You don't need to apologize for your tears in here because you're having a bad day. Oh, you yelled at your kids this week too? Me too, but let's ask God to help us. So one of the things that we do in around our dinner table and we do even in our city groups at Mill City is to ask the question, what are you mad about? What are you sad about? What are you glad about? It's just a way to strengthen the muscle, to be able to tap into not just had a great day, everything's awesome, jazz hands, but you know what? I'm a little sad. Now, it doesn't mean that it's like devastating sad, no, but sometimes, you know, I had just somebody said something at school today and I was a little sad about that. I'm sad about what's happening here. I'm sad about this. And sometimes it's in our own life. Sometimes it's in the broader world, but I'm sad. Mad about injustice and glad because they can all be in the same space together. And then lastly is to pray your feelings, to pray them, to express them. This is what the Psalms are. It's a prayer book. And the Psalms are packed full of emotions. Not, there was a while ago that I had somebody that was saying some things about, about me and about some leaders in our church and slandering and gossiping. And, and, and I came across Psalm 12. It's in the message version of the Bible. And it says, it says, slice off their lips and yank their tongues out of their mouths. I'm like, that's a prayer. I love that prayer. I God slice their lips off and rip their tongues out of their mouths. That's the Bible, everybody. <laughs> but what's David doing? He's praying it. Now, you know, like, that is so mean. That's not very Christian. Did David go slice their lips off and rip their tongue? No. He's expressing. He's getting it out. He's letting it come out. Why? Because he's not going to cover over the check engine light. In Genesis chapter 3. Adam and Eve disobeyed God, rebelled against his way, eat, eaten of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And then they hide. And God, who has had a pattern of walking with them in the cool of the day, comes for their three o'clock in the afternoon walk. And they're not there where they normally are. And he says, Adam, where are you? Now, that's a funny question. Did God really not know where he is? Like, ah, I, I, I wonder where he is. Playing hide and seek today at night. Where are we? Of course he knew where he was. So it seems like a little bit of a funny question that he's asking, why are you hiding? But he wanted Adam to bring himself fully and honestly to him. And the reality is, is that God's saying the same thing and asking of you, where are you? Where are you? Does God not know what's going on in your heart? Does he not know that you are grieving because somebody betrayed you? Does he not know that you're angry because somebody violated you or violated somebody else? God knows, but he's asking you, where are you? Why? Because he wants you to bring yourself fully and honestly and completely to him. Where are you? God is omnipresent, but there is one place where God does not dwell. The God who is everywhere does not dwell in one place, and that is illusion. He only dwells in reality. Good and bad, messy and hard, and amazing. 
all of it. But he doesn't dwell in the land of fantasy of where we pretend or hope or wish we were. He doesn't dwell in illusion, which means that we want to bring ourselves fully to him and engage reality well. See, where we cut ourselves off from reality then, we cut ourselves off from the presence of God. So I wonder if we can't just take like 20 seconds. If in this still small moment, because I know you leave here and things start to pick up and you get busy and you're like, I should sit down and examine why I did that. But let's just take a moment. Can you just for a moment be honest with yourself and be honest with God and name what's going on in the inside? What's happening on the, underneath the surface? Holy Spirit of God, every emotion that was just named, we offer them to you. You made us in your image with emotions to feel the world, to interact with one another. First, God, we, we want to say maybe for any of us in this room who maybe have somehow tried to avoid or repress or somehow just not even acknowledge the reality of what's going on inside of us, we repent. We want to turn towards you because we want all of our lives to belong to you. Would you help us not just to identify a name, it's a beginning, it's a first step, but would you help also help us to offer them to you, to ask why, get underneath the surface, welcome the transforming work of your Holy Spirit, welcome the comfort of the Holy Spirit, to welcome the, the ways of God. to welcome other people into our lives, to grieve with us, to come alongside us. And God, we thank you for your love for us, expressed fully in the life of Jesus. And Jesus, you gave everything. You gave every part of who you are. And so for anybody in this room, there's an invitation from the Holy Spirit right now to give all of yourself to Jesus. Some of you have never crossed the line of faith before. And it is as simple as saying, Jesus, I give you my life. I give you my life. It's yours. You gave me all of yours. I give you mine. It's actually an amazing trade. I'm going to give it all to you. Maybe it's for the first time or the first time in a long time. All of my life to you. Or maybe you would say, you know what? I've been a follower of Jesus for a long time, but I unknowingly may maybe have held back a portion of who I am. So I give all of my life to you, Jesus. I give you every feeling, every difficult emotion, every aspect of who I am. I give it to you. And I welcome your healing. I welcome your transformation. So that I might be fully alive. God, we need you. We welcome you. This we pray in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit.
And everybody said, amen. Hey, let's stand together. Can we give Pastor Aaron a big hand? Love you. So right on, so genuine. We just place your hand over your heart. I'm gonna pray. I wanna just pray for our offering, but I also wanna pray over just this message. Jesus, we just lift each of these components. We examine ourselves. God, we pray that this would go deep. We pray, Lord, that you would help us. We need your supernatural help and strength, God. I pray for healing. Maybe even just think of a moment where you you freaked out over the, the, the paint bucket going over and you know, all right, I've had a couple moments like that. God, would you do a work inside of us? Jesus, we trust you. Now we take that same hand and we just stretch it out for our, to our city. I wanna pray over our tithes and offerings, what God's called us to be and to do. Father, in Jesus' name, we just lift up, God, these families that you've invited us to reach, God, in the city. We ask, Lord God, use us, bless us to be a blessing. Father, we ask, Lord Jesus, God, the families in our church, we wanna be a blessing. We wanna help them this Christmas. God, this building that you've given us, it's a gift, you gave it to us. We ask, Lord Jesus, that you would provide all we need, Lord God, so that we can renovate that building. Father, we ask, Lord Jesus, God, for that you would use this church to make a difference in the nations. Give us global vision, Lord God, to make a difference. Jesus, we need you. God, we honor you. We love you. We give cheerfully. We give gladly in Jesus' name.